Hello, constant listener. I got to meet a new friend who has reached out to me through Facebook. Caitlin hails from New Jersey. As we had our chat, I got to ask her my favorite question when meeting anyone new. Can you tell me about a time that scared you? She recounted a memory as a young woman helping her mother manage a theater. There were things within its walls she couldn't explain. It reminded me of a similar story my own mother had told me about the Paramount Theater in Provo, Utah back in 1976. I asked Caitlin if it would be alright to create a new story for Coppershock by marrying the two realities together for a new original horror story just for you, constant listener. The more I thought about the two stories, the more excited I became. I've always wondered about buildings that just felt… off. Syndication of bad vibes from wall to wall, resonating and vibrating through a room. Buildings that usually get the most reputation for hauntings are ones that house multiple lives at one time. Hotels, prisons, hospitals, and theater houses. Stage plays have been around for hundreds of years, from Greek tragedies in 700 BC all the way up to modern hits like Phantom of the Opera, Wicked, and recently, Hamilton. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who has never heard of Shakespeare. In fact, Shakespeare does have a play that is infamous for being cursed. It has many names. The Bard's Play. The Scottish Play. The closest name to help you guess is McBee. For those who speak its name inside a theater house, sets into motion old magic, known to curse the theater until the offender takes measures to clear the name again. I don't have the exact instructions, and a quick search on Google tells me that it has something to do with the order of spitting over your shoulder, turning about a number of times, and being formally invited back into the theater house once you've taken the appropriate steps to clear the curse. Where the curse actually comes from, no one is sure, but my favorite theory is in the writing itself. I once was in a grassroots Shakespeare production of Macbeth, where myself and two other women played the three witches. As a witch for this particular production, I took out my guitar and we sang our lines in a haunting lullaby. Here's the catch. These first lines of Macbeth are supposed to be true curse incantations that Shakespeare took lines from a real coven of witches. It is bad luck to write down incomplete incantations, so the theory goes that Shakespeare only wrote what he wanted and not the whole thing. A repeated curse done by tradition for thousands of theaters all over the world. Whether that's true or not is unproven. But listen to the passage. When shall we three meet again? In thunder, lightning, or in rain, when the hurly-burly's done, when the battle's lost and won, that will e'er be the set of sun, where the place, upon the heath, there to meet with Macbeth. I come, Grey Malkin, Paddock calls anon. Fair is foul, and foul is fair, however through the fog and filthy air. I'm Tasha Wheelhouse, and this is Copper Shock.
Near the center of Provo, Utah, the Paramount Theater rested on Center Street. You wouldn't be able to recognize it now because it's gone, torn down. I saw a picture of it pop up on my regular feed on my phone, and the memories about the place came back to me, and the summer I was there in 1976. I still remembered my mother standing next to me as I looked up at the exterior of the building. I was 14, and my body was just starting to show the hints of womanhood I'd be growing into soon. And a Hershey's chocolate bar still cost 15 cents. Laura, you know why we call it the old lady? I shook my head no. Because this place has been around since 1913. It was called the Princess Theater back then. My mother continued to fuss with the door lock to the lobby. Why would they change the name? I asked her. My mother pointed to the large sign above our heads. It read, Paramount Theater, haloed in big, bulbous lights that would shine and blink later on that evening. She fumbled with the door, as getting the key latch to turn could be tricky, and I could see her visibly lean her weight onto it. A lot of movie studios changed theater houses in the 1920s. They bought small-town stages like this one and converted them into movie theaters by hanging a white screen at the front of the stage. I smiled. Summer had just started. I had plenty of time on my hands. While I didn't love the idea of chores, getting to watch movies for free while I did it was enticing. My mother tugged on the door one last go and it gave away. She reached her hand to mine as she led me inside. She gave my palm a sweet three squeezes and let it go. She'd been doing that for as long as I can remember. I passed under the poster that read, the Omen, now playing. I didn't know a lot about it, other than I was not allowed to watch it, although I tried to stay away from scary films. I once accidentally saw the trailer for Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. That was when I was little. The image of the broken doll's face was more than enough to steer me away from horror films after that. Once inside, I walked over to the closet by the concession to grab the broom. As I swept the floor, I heard the swinging of the heavy lobby door and the shuffle of shoes on cheap carpet. My big brother Mark stood there in the lobby looking around. He didn't realize it, but I saw his nose slightly crinkle. I know what he was smelling, too. Old buildings like this one smelled a certain way. Like they've been breathing a long time into old age, and eventually that breath goes bad. The aged wood and threadbare carpeting all seemed to reek of it. The old lady had a red carpet with interwoven gold ropes in its design. I suppose it was fancy when the theater did the renovation in 1952, but that was 24 years earlier, and I could see its colors were faded into walking paths beaten down into the fibers. I remember thinking Mark was very brave to ask Hutch for a job. Hutch scared me from what Mom had told me. I heard the swishing sound from the front door again and looked over. Hutch waddled in holding a wooden box under one arm and looked up surprised. Who are you kids? When Hutch began to speak, I listened. His voice sounded like he'd been chewing on gravel for breakfast and the pebbles scratched up his throat. Smoking for decades will do that. Hello, sir. I'm Mark. I'm here to interview for the custodial work. Hutch eyed my brother head to toe, then to me. 
then back to Mark. Hutch was as old as Methuselah in my eyes, but I'm sure he was actually only 47 or so. That right, Joan. My mother stepped down from the side stairway and into the lobby again. You shouldn't leave your kids alone with the candy. Hutch gestured toward me. I flushed in embarrassment and slight anger. I've already done the concession inventory, Hutch. We need more Hershey bars. This is my son, Mark. Hutch then turned to face Mark. I could see Mark shifting his weight back and forth nervously. Well, can you lift heavy boxes and keep on your feet for hours? Yes, sir. Mark straightened up and put his hands to his sides. How old are you? Eighteen, sir. Uh, eighteen, sir. Hutch repeated back to him. He took a deep breath. <sighs> well then, get to it. Bathrooms need cleaning, don't they? Joan, take these upstairs and line them up under the bench, will ya? New reels? Oh uh, yeah, said Hutch, nodding. Where from this time? Some Universal and some MGM, I think. B films all of them. I haven't heard of any of these. We didn't get the bits this month for most of the films. I don't even recognize this film studio. Hutch pulled out a reel that had a funny symbol on its front of a snake wound into an infinity ring swallowing its tail. Hutch flipped over the reel and it read, Four of Seven, Le Mille Visage Renové. Must be a foreign film. I wonder how it wound up here. Mother said, squinting her eyes to look at the label over Hutch's shoulder. Same as the others. Some studio booking agent decided he needed to get out some extra films for his studio and looked us up in a phone book. Well, we'll just have to keep running Bad News Bears and all the president's men, then. I mean, we have the Owen, but it's not exactly family-friendly for Utah. Hutch placed the funny tin with the snake on it back into the box and handed the reels to my mom. Hutch gave her a nod then walked away around the corner into the theater as the hinges on the swinging doors creaked. My mother walked over to Mark and gave him a small side hug, squeezing his shoulder. Chemicals are in the closet over there by Laura. She left Mark and gave me a loving pat on top of my head as she passed me. She started to make a short stair trek upward toward the projection room with the crate of reels jostling under her arm. Nothing special or suspicious happened then. But it was the beginning, and it was a happy time. Our whole family tending to the old lady, and keeping this wrinkled beauty queen ready for a show every night that summer in 1976. A couple of weeks passed, and I didn't mind most of my chores. In fact, I enjoyed learning how to lace film reels through the first and second projector. I tried to make it a game when watching for the circles at the top right corners of the movie. Back then, film reels only lasted about 20 minutes at a go, and then you alternated between projectors by covering and uncovering their lenses. The projector booth was a bit odd. All the walls, flooring, and ceiling were lined in metal. When the projectors had been running for a while, this room definitely made you sweat. Even the shutters to the outside were metal. Mark and I were sitting next to the projectors watching Bad News Bears for the millionth time. Mark, do you ever find it weird this whole room is nothing but metal? Not really. Mom explained it to me. It's actually kind of a good thing. Why? 
movie reels are getting some updates now, but old school ones are made with nitrate. And my chemistry teacher showed me how easily that catches on fire. Not to mention, its smoke produces poison when it burns. You'll hear legends about movie theaters burning down all the time, but that's usually the reason why metal projection rooms like this exist. Catch the fire in one room and try to make it safer. But what about the people inside the projection room? Mark and I were looking at each other as I said this. Burned alive is my guess. The door opened and both Mark and I jumped. You idiots missed the cigarette burn. Flip the projectors already. Hutch grumbled from the door. I looked out the projector window to a white blank screen. Below, an unrestful audience had been turning in their chair to shout upward at our projection window. We'd missed the screen cue. Hutch, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. Get out, kid. You! Hutch turned on Mark. You're getting paid, aren't you? Move! Mark looked like he jumped about a foot off the ground when Hutch said move, and I nearly jumped three steps downward toward the lobby myself. The remainder of my chores were fairly basic. I counted candy bars for inventory, and would even sometimes sell tickets up front when it got slower toward the end of the night. When the last moviegoer left, it was my job to sweep the theater and toss any garbage. Mark would clean the bathrooms or lobby, and Mom would count sales for the evening. And Hutch, well, usually he'd go up to the office to finish writing copy and do theater bills. Rarely did he ever stay the night past 8 p.m. I started my regular ritual of sweeping the theater chair rows and flipping up seats. I had a rhythm to it by now. I was on my third row down when Hutch burst through the doors. I stood there looking at him, just holding my broom, struck by his sudden entrance. It was a lot later than usual for him to be here. His face looked frantic as he looked around the theater hall. Laura, did you see anyone come in here? No, Mr. Pickens. You're sure? Hutch started to get on his hands and knees, looking down the rows of seats for another set of feet, I guess, besides mine. It's been quiet. There weren't that many people for the last showing. It's Tuesday, you know? Hutch stood up, scanning the room. It made me a little uncomfortable, but I stood there looking at him as he started to walk toward the stage. Laura, run up there and look behind that side of the curtain, and I'll look on this side. I did as I was asked. I took stage left, and he took stage right. The green curtains flurried a little as I disturbed them. But, just as before, there was really no one there. I looked to the other side of the stage, at Hutch. Check the doors. They should be locked, but if one is open, that's where they would be hiding. Who, Mr. Pickens? Hutch promptly ignored my question with a wave of his hand and stepped up to the first door on his side of the stage. I could hear him rattling door handles and kicking metal across the floor. It sounded like a small empty paint can. I went around my side and tugged at the door handles. Each time I moved to the next door down, it proved to be locked tight. Hutch quickly came over to me. He had already covered more than half of his stage area. I was about to reach the middle back over by the light switch when he walked up. 
I shook my head. He looked about the stage and upward toward the ceiling, and after a moment, he rubbed his eyelids with his fingers as if he felt a headache coming. Hutch chuckled a little, then started walking back toward the curtain partition. I followed him down from the stage to the theater seats. He thought I couldn't hear him when he muttered to himself, You're a brave kid to be in here alone all the time. I stopped in my tracks as he continued to stomp up the aisle toward the lobby doors. I stood there feeling strange and realized I still had half the theater to sweep. Normally I'd be done by now. What he said kept echoing again and again in my head. In here alone all the time. I jumped a little when I heard a voice from on high. Lara, hurry up. I'm done putting away the reels, and Mama's almost finished in the lobby counting the till. Mark was leaning out of the projection window. Okay, I've still got this whole section. I called back up to him. Ugh. Well, go ahead and turn off the lights. Anything you didn't get to tonight, we'll just do it first thing in the morning. I'm beat. Mark shut the glass window to the projection room and walked away from the casement. The projection room light blinked out. Leaning my broom up against the wall, I looked up to the stage and sighed. It was true that I didn't mind most of my chores, but there was one, one chore I loathed doing. I took the steps up from the front row seats to the elevated stage. The white screen hung in the middle while huge green curtains winged its sides and I tucked my little body behind them as I faced the wide, empty stage before me. I took a deep breath and said my mantra before I started walking forward. It's okay, Laura. Just in and out, like always. For modern buildings, light switches had the convenience of being right next to your entrance or exit door. Not the old lady. Her electric veins ran wherever she was fitted some time ago in the 1930s when it was converted from stage to film. The old lady's light switch was tucked at the back of the stage. It was a lonesome walk. The overhead halogen bulbs in the seating section served fine, but were diffused into a slight gloom when they struck through the heavy hanging white screen to the stage behind it. It put all my surroundings into a sort of twilight. I took my first steps. It was unnerving to listen to the small patter of my feet, and hearing it echo back to me from the acoustically constructed walls. It felt like someone was within arm's reach right behind me with every footfall. The fly space over my head tapered off into shadows, like it was designed to do in order to hide all the set props and stage screens from decades ago. Now, when you look up into its cavernous mouth, it's a webbed tangle of old ropes that haven't been touched in years. They dangle down like snakes, watching you, posing to strike and pull you up into its darkness while you scream. Every time I saw the ropes, and that's all I could think of. 
A strange fear, I know, but it's one of the reasons I didn't like looking up when I passed underneath them. I saw the far wall getting closer and closer as I fixed my eye onto the light switch. It was nestled between two doors. One that used to be a dressing room, but now Hutch used for storage. The other was a boarded-up exit door that was defunct some years ago. I approached the wall with the light switch. I felt my hand reach up before I flicked it off. I looked back toward the distance I'd just crossed. I'd have to traverse it again and took a mental picture of the stretch of space. My finger pressed down. All illumination flickered away. My eyes were painted over in blackness before they adjusted to the hazed, empty space before me. I stood at the precipice of an enormous Victorian wood stage. One more time, I said aloud to myself. I jumped a little because the word time came back to me a half second later, bouncing off the wall on the other side of the hall. I took my first step back toward the partition from the stage curtain. The journey back always felt longer. It was more empty, more vacant. The depth of the stage lengthened before me. My steps were always louder in the darkness. And yet, as I listened to them, there was a strange sensation coming to me. A new awareness most people don't notice until it hits them is the vulnerability of the moment. The feeling of the void growing right behind you. It breathes down your neck in a cold brush and makes you want to take your next step a little faster. Your anxiety builds up. That little thought begins to eat your confidence away. All you want to do is break into a panicked sprint. I've had similar experiences wanting to run up a flight of stairs when turning off the basement light at home. But this was worse. I am specifically forbidden from running in case I ran into something and broke it. It might be a hint, but Hutch said that he had problems with this in the past. A striking of a note from a small music box floated over me somewhere. It was only a single note, but enough to make my hair stand up on end and freeze in place. I couldn't move. I wanted to see if I could hear it again to determine if it was ahead of me or behind me. I knew the way this stage played tricks with sound. I didn't hear it again, but heard something else. Croaking from a rope somewhere above me. It was as though the rope were strained and swinging something heavy. After a moment gathering my bearings, I understood where I was standing. Beneath the jungle of old suspended stage ropes in the fly space. My breathing through my nose became more audible as it picked up pace. I couldn't stand to look up into the fly space when the light was on, but now... I heard the small sound swing above me again. Keeping my eyes focused on the curtain opening, I refused to look up. I started to walk again, 
but with a quickened pace. I was so close to the curtains. As I reached out to pass the threshold into the seating area, a final sound caused a cold rush of blood to run through me. A door. I heard a door latch click open and swing, just as though someone were peeking out at me. I flew my hand around the curtain's side, heavily gripping it to move it out of my way as I took a running leap off the stage to clear aisles. I'd never let my feet fly so fast indoors before. As I burst through the lobby doors, I could feel a small beating sweat beginning to form on my forehead. Lara, you ready to go? Oh. Mom stopped when she saw how hard I was breathing. Honey, what is it? I felt a sickening weight drop in my stomach. The old costume room we used for storage, the one right next to the light switch. I was about to check it, then Hutch came over and he assumed I had. Okay, honey, I'll go in there and check. Mom leaned down behind the candy counter and pulled out a large black metal flashlight. She pressed herself into the theater with the beam of the flashlight bobbing up and down in front of her. I watched the lobby doors swing closed behind her. Mark came over and looked at me staring at the theater doors. Where's mom? She... I felt my breath catch and let go into a small laugh. <laughs> she went to check for the ghost. Mark gave me a funny look, but shrugged and started walking toward the doors. As he was about to push into them, mom popped right back out. Sorry, Lara, I didn't see anything. The costume room is locked. I nodded my head. I must have imagined it. I don't need to tell you that after that moment, I had basically avoided being in the theater alone if I could help it. Mark was a little annoyed, but eventually he just got used to the idea. And that was one of my memories of working at the old lady in 1976. I loved writing this story for Coppershock. It was inspired by two accounts from Coppershock listeners, Caitlin and Laura. If you liked this episode, please share it on your social media. Sharing episodes or leaving a review for Coppershock on your podcast provider helps us to grow and every participation counts. Next week, we'll be taking you to Bear Lake, Utah, a gorgeous vista and body of water that's a popular summer vacation spot. But, what else lurks within its waters? Feel free to send me a message over Facebook to say hello. I love it when people say hello. I'm so thankful for all of you who encourage me to keep going. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you soon.